because they had so much more resources than them. No, we see why. The difference was that they had the Lord and the king of Assyria did not have the Lord. That was it. That was the difference. With the dreamers, what do they have? They have the arm of the flesh. That's what the dreamers have. Maybe they have more soldiers. Maybe they do have better armor and more strength. Maybe they have all of that. But we have the Lord. Well, it's good to, to be back here with you all. Um, and of course, Grace Community Church, San Antonio, an extension over here to be with you all today. And uh, my family was planning on coming. It's many plans that we have, and God changes them. Uh, my seven-year-old was throwing up out of nowhere last night, so he was unable to make it, or they were unable to make it because of that. So we're going to be in the book of Jude today, the book of Jude, and we're going to be in verse 9. Um, I know that the first couple times that I've preached with you guys was in the book of Jude, um, we've gone through the first four verses, and then we jumped to verse 8 when our brother Bobby preached. Um, I just thought it was fitting to go along with his sermon. So I'm com- completely skipping over uh, verses 5 through 7. So just a quick thought on that. Verses 5 through 7 speaks about, uh, well, it really gives fi- uh, three different uh, uh, illustrations of judgment and condemnation from God. And so the, the, the gist of what I want to say there is that God is the one condemning, God is the one who saves, and God is the one who condemns. And, uh, and right there in those verses gives us a clear picture of that. And if you want to uh, listen to some sermons on that, I did preach on, on those verses. But today, again, I decided to Keep going with Jude, uh, in Jude with you all. So we'll be in verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. I'm going to pray one more time. Father God, help us. We all need your help. I ask you, Lord, that words would not just be spoken and heard, but that it would be that your Holy Spirit would come in and, and you would ignite our minds and our hearts, Lord, and faith would be produced, Lord, that we would trust you, that we would see your word and believe, and we would be stirred up to good works, that we would be uh, as my brother Kinsey prayed, Lord, that we would move forward, um, that your word would be a means by which we move forward by your grace, Lord. We need your grace. We need your help. Please be with us. Humble us. Humble me. Help us to see your truth and your word. <clears throat> Thank you for this time. In the name of your son, amen. <clears throat> So I've entitled the message, The Great Archangel Contrasted with Dreamers. And you see that from the text there, Michael the Archangel. 
So the last time, not the last time I was with you all, but the time before that, last time I was in Jude, we looked at verse 8, and we considered dreamers. So I talked about my work in dialysis and how people on the treatment, the dialysis treatment, um, they a lot of times fall into sleep. It's very common to, to have that happen. And so I, I spoke about a particular patient who was, would be frightened in, in his dream, like having a nightmare, and, and sometimes we would have to come and wake him up because he was endangering the, the lines, and that would be a, a danger, right? So, so last time we considered more the aspect of the dreamers in their dream, living in their fictional fantasy dream world. Today, I, I want to go to the other end of that. I want to think about and consider not the dream, the dreamer in his dream, but one who is awake, alert, and oriented to reality, speaking to a dreamer in his dream. Like, like in the situation, I had to wake this person up, and he wasn't making much sense, but I had to keep trying to wake him up. And so that, that's what I want to highlight today is not the dreamer, but those who are awake and alert and oriented to reality. And this is what we see in our example here in verse 9. This individual, he was not influenced by dreams. He wasn't influenced by superstition. He wasn't influenced by his imagination. He was influenced by God's revelation, like what Kinsey was bringing out. God's word is what we have before us. So, I want us to consider, again, Michael, the archangel, and I have three main points that we see in the text today. First, the humility of Michael, Michael's humility. Second, the submissiveness of Michael. Third, the confidence of Michael. So humility, submissiveness, confidence is what we see in the text. And my desire, again, for today is that we will be able to consider this example and reflect on and learn from this example of Michael. But not just for the sake of admiring Michael, clapping and cheering on, let's celebrate Michael, no. But the greater picture of this, of all of this, is how he points to the greatest example found in Jesus Christ. So we saw, again from verse 8, three characteristics of dreamers. The characteristics of dreamers are that they are first immoral, second insubordinate, and third irreverent. We see verse 8. You look there in verse 8. It says there, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 9. But. But. There is a but. There's a contrast. There's a contrast to dreamers. You see that there in the first verse, first word of verse 9. We don't want to be dreamers. We do want to learn about dreamers in order to speak to them, unmask them before they do great damage to the church. Yes, we want to know about dreamers, we want, but we also, on the other end, want to have good examples of those who are not dreamers that we may learn from their example. Ultimately, again, point us to Christ. It's imperative, therefore, that we consider the contrast here, the contrast of what we see in verse 9 with Michael. But when, again, 
the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So let's consider the first point here, the humility of Michael. How do we see Michael's humility? Let's think about the subject here. Who, who are we talking about? The subject in verse 9 of Jude is an angel. Let's consider what we know, a little bit of what we know about angels in Scripture. Luke chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. But the angel Gabriel, so here's an angel, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and fear fell upon him. Again, uh, later on, the angel appeared, uh, appeared to Mary and again there was fear. Luke chapter 2, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. So a lot of fear going on with the angel's presence. Okay, so what, what's sparking this? What, why is there fear? What, what's the deal with fear and angels? I mean, especially when we have this picture in our minds a lot of times of the cartoons with the angels all cuddly with their halo around, right? Well, what's the deal? We're not thinking about fear and angels if we're just, talking, if we're just watching the TV and influenced by that, right? There's no fear in angels. Well, what's the deal with this? Well, here's one reason, many things that we can point to in Scripture. But here's just one. Isaiah chapter 37. It tells us that one angel killed 185 people? No, 185,000 people. That's one angel. I don't know the population of Austin, I'm assuming it's close to a million maybe. I mean, let's say close to a quarter of the population around us. This city, gone. Think about it. One angel. Think about something else. John, probably the godliest man alive at that time, the apostle John. We're told in the book of Revelation that he fell down to worship an angel, not once, but twice. Now, most of us likely have never thought about worshiping an angel. That's not a temptation that we face. But it's quite possible that John didn't face that temptation either until he meets an angel. See? This is what we're dealing with, an angel in verse 9 of Jude. But what we find here in the text with Michael is not just any ordinary angel. It doesn't say just angel. It says Michael, the archangel. Archangel. What does archangel mean? Archangel has to do with chief, principal, or high-ranking angel. Archangel is seen in the Bible two times in our New Testament. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and in our text here in Jude. And the only name, the only name that's given, attributed to Archangel is the one that we see here, Michael. That's it. Gabriel wasn't labeled Archangel, only Michael. And it's here in Jude. Michael is the Archangel in the kingdom of God. The contrast of dreamers in Jude is not only an angel, but Michael, the archangel. So we need to have this as an introduction, a backdrop, before diving into our text. We are dealing here 
with Michael the archangel. So verse 9. But when. I like that second word, when. Jude is not speaking generally here. Generally here. He has in mind a specific time, a specific event. So is there anywhere in our Old Testament that gives us any insight as to this example that we see in Jude, the specific example? No, we don't see anything like that. So how did Jude receive this information? Well, kind of like what we see in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. God is the author. He's the, he inspires this scripture. So he could have uh, uh, explained it to him in so many different ways and had, him, had this revelation to him. We don't know how. But there are strong, a strong case that he got this from the assumption of Moses, which is from the Apocrypha. Now, let's clarify that. The Apocrypha is not inspired scripture. It's not what First, uh, Second Peter one twenty one was dealing with. It's not the Apocrypha. However, that does not mean that everything in the Apocrypha is wrong. Right? There are things that are true in the Apocrypha which Jude takes from or could take from. We know that Paul did the same thing, taking something that was not inspired but if it's in Scripture, then it is inspired. So the source of truth is the Bible, and there are things that are true outside of the Bible, which is confirmed. The standard is the Bible, right? And so this we find in the Bible, though there is something that we see in uh, the Apocrypha, right? So what do we know in Scripture about this? We don't know, again, specifically this event, but something that might help us is found in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 6. And there God buried Moses in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of this burial, of his burial to this day. So here's something clear that we know. This is found again, Deuteronomy 34, 6, if you wanted to jot it down. This is something that we know. God did not want the body of Moses to be found. Right? We see that very clearly. He wanted it to be kept a secret. We don't know for certain why. People have speculated. And that's not the point of this message or the point here. We don't know. We don't know why. But what we do know is the devil is going to plan and attempt to thwart the plans and the purposes of God just for the sake of doing it. He doesn't need any specific reason. He just wants to mess up whatever God has going on. God wants to do this. He wants to go the direct opposite. And so we find the will of God, the promises of God, the purposes of God, the plans of God in the word of God, right? Mark it down. We can know this for sure. There's a lot of things we don't know about this account, but one thing we know for sure is that the enemy is going to go against the plans and the purposes of God. And therefore, like Michael, we must, not just Michael, we must be alert, awake, and oriented to reality. We must be on guard. God's plan was to keep his burial, his body, a secret. Foolish, foolish, 
foolish devil, the dreamer of dreamers. This is the king of the dreamers attempting to destroy the plans and the purposes of God could only come from one who is not awake, one who is a dreamer. Listen to Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 through 11. If you have not read it, maybe just jot it down. Go through to it if you're quick, but this is this is key. This is a key verse verses to, to know about who God is. He says this, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient, ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes, calling a bird of prey from the from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose, and I will do it. Regardless of who wants to go against God, let creation itself, all of creation, go against God. God is the creator, and he has declared, if he has declared something, he will do it, whatever it is. It doesn't matter who goes against him. He is going to do what he is going to do. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens and he does some of what he pleases. No, all of what he pleases. Every single thing he does. Daniel, one more. Daniel 4, 35. All of the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? None can do that. No one. Yet, despite no one being able to successfully do it, the devil attempts to stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? And so, we see here with Michael a verbal altercation with the devil. The devil, the dreamer of dreamers, the king of the dreamers. And God assigned to Michael, he gave him a task. And that assignment was to contend with this foolish dreamer. The specific time and event, hence the word when. But when Michael... The name Michael. God does not choose names randomly. Michael didn't give himself that name. God gave him the name Michael. There was a purpose and a reason. Michael means who is like God. Who is like God is rhetorical. It's a rhetorical question. Now think about this. Michael may indeed be the most glorious, majestic, powerful of all creation, all the hosts of heaven. Yet, yet, despite that, his name reveals the reality of the obvious answer to the question of his name. No one is like God. God alone is holy, holy, holy. As great and as glorious as this angelic being is, not even Michael himself can be compared to God. For no one is like him. What a humble name, right? Who is like God? What a humble name. Jehovah Witnesses, they make his name, they, they, they like to twist little words, right? Like John chapter 1, they just twist one little word. 
They make his name be he who is like God instead of the question, who is like God? Now, they want to make Jesus into a creature. They want to put him down. They want to make Jesus be one and the same with Michael the archangel, claiming that he is like God. He is even a mighty God. He's just not the almighty God. So he's almost there, but not quite. But wouldn't that beg the question, how many gods are there? That means there's two gods? Well, they'll say, no, but Satan is a false god. Satan is a god. And then you say, yeah, Satan is a false god. There's only one true God. Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator. He did not create, he is not a created angel. He is not Michael the archangel. He is God. And Hebrews chapter 1 is clear. Just listen to verses 6 through 8. It says there, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You better believe that includes Michael, the archangel right there. Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, including Michael, the archangel, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But here's the contrast of the sun. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is the sun, Jesus Christ, his throne, the Son has a throne. He is on that throne forever and ever. Jesus is not Michael. Jesus is not an angel. Michael, the archangel, could never do what, and Michael in his glory could never do what Jesus on, in his earthly uh, ministry did. What did Jesus do? Jesus sent Satan away time and time again. He said, Be gone. He rebuked Satan multiple times. Michael did not have such authority. Michael is not God or a mighty God. And his humble name proclaims this reality. that He is not God. Men are lower than the angels. Yet, what we see in verse 8, dreamers want to be like God. What was the temptation of Adam and Eve? Precisely this. They wanted to be like God. And not even, think about this, not even, men want to be like God, but not even this glorious, majestic archangel is like God. Well, continuing in our text, Michael the archangel says they're contending with the devil. The word contending could be translated altercation or contention in words, there was a form, some form of verbal altercation with the devil. Michael was speaking to and contending with a dreamer in his dream. I mean, like we've talked about, try speaking to a dreamer in his dream. Dreamers are going to maybe mouth things, maybe, maybe make movements, maybe say things, and they're not going to make much sense. They are not in line with reality. And you can imagine this was precisely the case with Michael contending with the devil. Michael was speaking to a dreamer. Yet, think about this, even in that, even, in the, even though he realized he was speaking to a dreamer, Michael was not disrespectful. He wasn't. He was humble. 
and it showed in his reverence as, as a mighty archangel, as mighty as he was, as powerful as he was, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. Instead, he attempted to reason with this foolish dreamer. Such a drastic, drastic contrast, right, from what we see in verse 8 of the dreamers who are but men. Michael was, here's another thing, the men are ignorant in verse 8. Michael was not ignorant that his foe, who he was contending with, Satan, the dreamer, that he was a condemned one, that he was a defeated foe. The scripture tells us plainly of the defeated state of Satan, the great fallen angel. Michael was not ignorant of this. He knew this reality, yet he didn't get puffed up. These dreamers in verse 8, in their pride, speak about the matters in which they're ignorant. And they pronounce blasphemous judgment on angelic beings. Michael being the chief, being the archangel, the principal angel, high ranking. He didn't even do this to a condemned fallen angel. Michael, the archangel, he is the antithesis to dreamers. Dreamers, think about this, they're puffed up in pride. They seek to elevate themselves. Michael contrasted to that, being full of humility, recognized and affirmed his place, which is the place that God assigned to him. He did not seek to elevate himself above that. Dreamers in pride twist and pervert reality. Michael in humility, humi humility affirms reality. Those consumed in pride have their vision completely distorted. They're blind. Men in their, in their pride cannot see reality. They don't see the truth about themselves, that, that we men, hum, the human race, that we are but worms, but maggots. Our sin has, has drug us so low. They don't see themselves with the right perspective. And what goes hand in hand with that is that they don't see the Lord sitting on a throne with the right perspective. And as a result of this, they don't see the world in God's ordained order, including the angels, with the right perspective. They don't see any of it with the right perspective. These dreamers are presumptuous, which reflects their pride. Michael, being the chief of the heavenly host, being the top angel, he was not presumptuous. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. Dreamers are proud. The contrasted great archangel Michael is humble. Think about this reality here. We're talking about pride for a moment. The more elevated a person is, an individual is, the more temptation there is to be proud. Does that make sense? So, like, for example, if Raymond is the smartest person in this universe, he is going to be more tempted to be proud of his intelligence, right? Or if Kinsey were the strongest of all this whole room, let's say this 
who we got here, if he was the strongest, he's going to be the most tempted to be proud of his strength. Right? Does that make sense? Michael, from every indication, was the most or is the most glorious, majestic, celestial being, powerful being, yet there's no pride. See that how that see how that has more weight to it. The most powerful, glorious, majestic being ever created, no pride. There's no room for pride when you see God, when you truly see the Lord with the right perspective. When you get just a glimpse of this holy, holy, holy God, like we see in Isaiah chapter 6, that holy God sitting on the throne, there is no room for pride. Michael knows his place full well, and the reason why is because he knows God's place full well. We need to be reminded, every single one of us, daily, of this reality, lest we doze off into a sleep and a dream and get puffed up in pride. We don't want that. We need to have our eyes fixed on him seated on the throne. We will never see ourselves with the right perspective unless, like Michael, we see God with the right perspective. We'll understand his order and creation and with the angels as well. We see the great archangel in humility, instead of pronouncing judgment, leaving it to the Lord to judge and condemn Satan. We see Michael's humility. But even this great, and it is a great example of humility, but even that great example of humility cannot be compared with the humility that we find in Jesus Christ. Christ. He is, like I mentioned, the creator. He is the creator. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 could not be any more clear. Jesus created Michael, yet he humbled himself, took on the form of a man, and was made for a little while lower than the angels whom he created. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 2. He had all glory. And he put that glory to the side and cloaked himself in human flesh. This is what our great example of Michael, Michael's humility, ultimately points us to. Jesus, think about this too, Jesus is of endless worth. As great as Michael is, he's not of endless worth. Jesus is of endless worth, infinite Yet he became a man. That reality should humble each and every one of us. We're moving on to Michael's submissiveness. The submissiveness that we see in Michael. And we already saw that a little bit. But how do we see the submissiveness of Michael? Well, first, Michael recognized the position that God himself gave to the devil. The devil, again, is the highest rank in all the kingdom of darkness. This was ordained not by the devil, but by God. Michael not only recognized this reality, but he submitted to this reality. Michael was not disrespectful even toward his greatest enemy, the devil. Now, if Michael could have such reverence, why would we, men... 
not have such reverence toward angelic beings, glorious beings. We should not be like the dreamers who think that these glorious beings are somehow under them. That they could command, like we saw in verse 8, that they just command Satan and his demons where to go, what, where, when to go, what to do. Michael submitted to the fact that he did not have such authority. God is, God is the one who assigns where to go, what to do, when to do it. Even in the kingdom of darkness, God is the king of kings. Even in the kingdom of darkness. In 2 Chronicles chapter 18, we have this example where God sends lying spirits to do his bidding and carry out his purpose. He did this again in the kingdom of darkness. God is the king of kings. He is the one who gives out the assignments. God assigns to Michael the responsibility of dealing with the body of Moses, and Michael's there submitting to that assignment. God assigns to Michael the responsibility of dealing with Satan, and again, he's there submitting. Now, keep in mind, note this, this is a willful submission. We know, for example, that one day we see in Philippians chapter 2 that every single knee will bow, every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone here, if you're not doing it now, you will do it one day. But that's not what Philippians 2 is talking about. That's not a willful submission. That's not from the heart. That's not a delight. People are going to do it out of being forced. Same thing of what we see in Mark chapter 5. Jesus sent the legion of demons to the pigs and they obeyed because of his word. He spoke it and they obeyed. Not because they wanted to ultimately. Not because it was their delight. But it was because they were forced. This is not the case with Michael. He wasn't neutral or antagonistic. He was fully submitted to God and his will. Michael was not forced into submission. But there's another way in which we see the submissiveness of Michael. We see him willfully submitting to Scripture in verse 9, specifically by stating, The Lord rebuke you. And we see this from Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. You can just listen and jot it down. It says there, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Who is the Lord who chose Jerusalem? It's the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so he is quoting directly from there. Michael not only knew scripture, James chapter 2 says that the demons do that. They know scripture intellectually for sure, up and down, left and right. But it doesn't stop there with Michael. He doesn't only know scripture, he submits to scripture. He did not seek to take the matter with the devil into his own hands. He surrendered to the authority of God's word. He didn't, he didn't go by his imagination. He went by and was influenced by God's revelation. Now, me and you, we may not receive a personal visitation from Satan as Michael did here. He's, Satan is not omnipresent like God. He can't be at different places at once. 
So we might not ever face Satan face to face here on earth. However, Scripture testifies of a reality about Satan. It says about Satan that he is the God of this world, right? That's the world system that me and you are presently living in. We are living in, yes, ultimately God's world, but in another sense, we're living in Satan's world. He is the God of this world, this world system, being in the world but not of the world, right? We are in the world. And so, because we're in the world, the prince of the power of the air, who is that? That's Satan. This is the world that we are living in. And so we need to be well acquainted with Scripture and submit to it, right? Because the attacks of Satan is not necessarily directly and personally face-to-face. Satan is the god of this world, and he influences this world system which we are living in. So we are in a spiritual war and need to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, says in Ephesians chapter 6. He's got schemes. The schemes are directed towards us too. And we need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to be surrendered, each and every one of us, and submitted to God's Word. Dreamers reject authority. Michael in verse 8, the contrast, he's not a dreamer. He submits to authority. Michael is used by God. God calls Michael again to contend with the devil. He calls him to uh, handle the body of Moses. And there's Michael. He also, in Revelation, we see that God calls Michael to battle with the dragon. And again, there is Michael. Michael's just there at God's word. Michael submits to God's authority in all things. And he is used by God. Don't think, we should not think that we can just dismiss God's authority, do whatever we want, and be used by God. That's not how it works. And I'm not just saying that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says that. And I'll just quote it. He says, Therefore, if anyone, anyone, cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. But the condition there is, there's a condition. And it says, cleansing yourself from what is dishonorable. You cannot cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable if you are not submitted to God's word. You cannot be useful to the master of the house if you are not submitted to God's word. Again, Jesus is our great example of this reality. He submitted to God's word time and time again. We see that in scripture where he was, had the temptation with Satan, right? What did Jesus do? Did he, who did he quote? He quoted God's word. Time and time again, he said, it is written. He himself, Jesus himself, submitted to God's word. Now, think about this. If Michael had no other option but to submit to God's word, if Jesus had no other option but to submit to God's word, then who are we to think that we could do otherwise? We must be alert, awake, and oriented 
in God's word. If we're going to do that, we need to be submitted to his word as well. Moving on to the last point, we saw the humility, the submissiveness, and now the confidence. The confidence that we find that Michael has. We want that confidence too, right? The confidence of Michael. Where is his confidence? Was his confidence in himself? He was the greatest. He was the greatest in all the angels. Was it in himself? No, he didn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Where was his confidence? Was it in himself or was it in the Lord? It was in the Lord, right? His confidence was that the Lord would rebuke Satan. In disputing with the devil, he did not resort to, to, to name-calling and insulting him. He didn't try to go chest-to-chest chest with the devil and try to outsmart him, toe-to-toe and see how it goes. He didn't do that. No. His confidence was in the Lord who rebukes Satan. The dreamers in verse 8, they blaspheme the glorious ones. They stand up against, in their fictional dream world, they stand with their chest raised, chest to chest with the devil, right? They believe themselves to be something, and they believe themselves to be some great match for the kingdom of darkness. They have every bit of confidence in the arm of the flesh. Listen, listen to Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 7. Says there, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there is more with us than with him. Ooh, that means that we have a whole lot more soldiers. We have a whole lot more armor. We have a lot more strength than they do. Is that what it's saying? With him, over there, king of Assyria, that whole army is what? The arm of the flesh. But with us, what do we have? Is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. So what's the difference there? What's the difference? Why, why was there so much confidence that we see in Second Chronicles? Why? Because they had so much more resources than them. No, we see Why? The difference was that they had the Lord and the king of Assyria did not have the Lord. That was it. That was the difference. With the dreamers, what do they have? They have the arm of the flesh. That's what the dreamers have. Maybe they have more soldiers. Maybe they do have better armor and more strength. Maybe they have all of that. But we have the Lord. The Lord our God, and he helps us fight our battles. And like we've talked about, Ephesians 6 and so on, we have a war. We have a battle, and we need him to help us. With us, those of us who are alert, who are not dreamers, who are oriented to reality, we have the Lord to help us fight our battles. And Michael had a battle. He had a battle with the devil. But his confidence was not in his strength. His confidence was not in his words. His confidence was not in his intelligence. His confidence was in the Lord who helps him and helped him 
fight his battle. We are no match for the devil. We are no match in and of ourselves for the demons. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We are no match. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We are powerless. That's where you're at. You are powerless. You can say, it says we are powerless. You can include there yourself. You are powerless. You have no power. John 15. Without me, Jesus speaking, without me you can do nothing. You are powerless. That's pretty depressing unless... You understand the, the fullness of what this means. That could be pretty discouraging. You are powerless. It could be a discouraging preacher if I'm just shouting out that. But there's more, right? I'm not just shouting out that we're powerless. We're powerless against this horde, this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, there's hope. There's hope. Our eyes are on him. There's great hope. The devil, he probably, I mean, he's, he's crafty. He's very, he's the, it says in Genesis, he's the most crafty creature of them all, right? He's a schemer. He's powerful. He's the top guy in all the kingdom of darkness. He's, he's, he's not a, a stupid guy who has no knowledge of anything. No, he's, he's intelligent. He's smart. He's crafty, right? Doesn't mean he's wise. He's smart. And there's a difference. This is the devil. The devil. He's crafty. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on him. And you can imagine what was going on with Michael. Michael had a difficult task with the devil. Very difficult. Malicious words, maybe slanderous attacks were going on. Who knows exactly? But again, he's a schemer. He's going to do tricks. He's going to do whatever he can do. And I can imagine how difficult this must have been for Michael. You can even imagine that he got to the point of not knowing what else to say to him and maybe just bowing his head and saying, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but then his eyes went where? To the Lord. To rebuke him. If our eyes are on the Lord, even though the devil's schemes are great, if our eyes are on the Lord, the God Almighty, if our confidence is in him, then what do we have to fear? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Right? Who is in the world? Who are we talking about? The, 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 the one who has, who's the God of this world. Right? The prince of the power of the air. That's who we're talking about. That, that is who is in the world. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We cannot be like those dreamers who go on to slumber. We must be aware, alert, oriented, sober-minded. Michael is a great example of one who contended with the devil. And we see that here in Jude 9. But again... We have something else in Christ. We have someone who is greater, right? In Christ, we don't merely have one who contended with the devil. We have one who actually conquered, defeated the devil, right? He didn't just contend and go have this verbal altercation with the devil and that was it. No, he actually destroyed. Look, look at what it says in 1 John chapter 3. 
Verse 8, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So here's the devil scheming, working, doing everything he can, and everything that he does, all you can accumulate it all, and there is Jesus destroying it all. It doesn't say that he's destroying some of the works. No, he came to destroy the works of the devil. He's destroying it. He destroyed it all. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. That through death, he, that's Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Colossians 2, 15. He disarmed, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Make no mistake about it. It's God's power. God is the one who does it. He's the one who crushes Satan. And yet, he allows us to be, to, to be our feet who Satan is under. Again, not our doing and our power and our strength, but God is the one who's crushing him. And that's what Jesus did. God is going to crush Satan, says soon, under our feet. He's going to use our feet to do it. And God is going to give you and I and every single person who has confidence in the Lord full victory. We're going to conquer that's so what it says in Revelation. We're the conquerors. He's going to give us full victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He is the conqueror and he gives us the victory. I apologize. My voice is not the best, but I love to sing. Right? It's okay, right? He gives us the victory. Michael had all his confidence and reliance on the God who gives the victory. If your confidence this morning, sorry, this afternoon, is in your beauty, your strength, your intelligence, your words, your money, your resources, your family relations, your craftiness, your slickness, your youth, your experience, your knowledge, or even in your sound doctrine, if it's in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you are headed for defeat. Those who conquer in this world, those who conquer are those who have all their confidence in him. They are those who are sober-minded, aware, alert, and oriented to reality. Those who have the victory are not those who live in a fantasy, fictional dream world. They are those who have all their trust in him. They are those who are humble, submissive to God's word, and have complete reliance and confidence in Jesus Christ who has conquered. Amen. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this group here that you're preserving their souls. Your abiding word is able and it does. Keep us, or we thank you. We thank you. We know that without you, we could do nothing. We, we need you to continue to help us. 